Just that way, after a crowd of teenagers comes in, nothing's where it belongs. I'm watching these guys come off the stage, and everybody's got their little brown bag. It's sort of like kindergarten all over again, and that's neat. It's a special day for me as well, as one of those kids up there was my oldest. And uh, so I have a challenge for all you guys this morning, you graduates, and hopefully for everybody else in the crowd too. It seems like at our house we've been doing this graduation thing for about a month now. And what do we got, about eight, nine more days of this, and then we're done with graduation? Something like that. Um, graduation's one of those really special and sort of silly seasons of life all at the same time. It's kind of like weddings and new babies, and there are certain things that are said over and over again at these kind of times. And, you know, I will tell you right now, guys, I don't mean to burst your bubble, but not all weddings are lovely. My wife has a cousin whose wedding video includes the bride barfing on the shoes of the pastor. It's not lovely, I'm just saying. Not all babies are cute. <laughs> My wife and I were at the grocery store a little while ago, and I came around the corner, and she said, what is that look on your face? I said, you should see the baby in the next aisle. <laughs> and this graduation season has been one of those things where people get to stand up and say things, and there's this obligation to say something, and and some of the stuff that's said is very deep and profound, and some of it is just flat not true. Like, your whole life is ahead of you. No, it's not. You've already lived 18 years, so it can't be. You can be anything you want to be. Most of you know Like that journey guy says, don't stop believing unless your dream is stupid and then get another dream. <laughs> There's lots of things that get said, and some of them are true and profound, and some of them you should probably just kind of ignore. And so I want to get to today is, is eventually some of those things that you should really hold on to and maybe put some of the silly comments aside. And there's one truth that in this whole thing today, and and that is that, that things do come in seasons and come in stages. Um, I'm going to take Dad's prerogative. Sam, come up here with me for a sec. Um. <laughs> the day Sam was born, the doctor handed him to me, and I held him in this hand right here. And now I have to look up slightly to look him in the eye. It wasn't long, and it was a few years later, and I was riding the school bus on the first day of school because parents, one of the parents had to do that, and somehow I drew that short straw every time I had to ride in the back of the bus. In third grade, we made a geometry mobile. Remember that? And everybody else in the class came in with their wire hanger with three pieces of stuff hanging off of it. And ours was, was about, a, the about the size of that speaker. It was made out of PVC pipe. And when we walked in the door, the teacher just cursed and said, what in the world am I supposed to do with this thing? 
And then a number of years ago, he came to me and said, Dad, I just shared the gospel with a bunch of kids and a couple kids are going to heaven. Possibly the thing I can remember most. Um, and I know a lot of your parents have had the same similar experiences. It's the goofy things to remember and it's the things like that that we'll remember forever. And we hope in your lives continue just to increase and multiply. And that, like Sean said, we can look back and say that you guys are the disciple makers of the future. And that it is going to be something we're going to look back and say, what a crowd, what a generation of kids. So, thanks. That part was for me. Sorry. You know, for a lot of the people sitting in this crowd this morning, speaking just to you graduates right now, you have had a lot of input into your lives. A lot of you who have been raised in this church or have been around for a while know that there's people out here that were babysitters or Sunday school teachers. Some of you, people changed your diapers in the nursery. There's Awana leaders. There's youth leaders. There's small group leaders. There's friends you've had for for years that have helped you to grow. There's aunts. There's uncles. There's grandparents. And I will tell you this. There are people out there that you don't even know about that have been praying for you forever, for your forever. There are people that have been praying for you before you were even born who are sitting here this morning, and you are blessed because of that. You know, like I said before, this is just a season in in life, and we all go through seasons. You know, we're all in different places and points, and and I want to share with you a couple scriptures this morning to talk about this. The first one is, is Psalm chapter... Uh, 90, and it's verse 12. It says this, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. If you count it back, there's 180 days in a school year if you're in public school. And I'm not going to make any judgments about how many years each one of you has been in public school, but you can multiply and figure out how many days you've already passed. There's more days ahead. And, and it's a great thing to, to start to number our days, to consider where you have been and where you are going. This psalm, Psalm 90, is a little bit unique. It is the psalm that was written by Moses. It's the oldest chronologically of all the psalms. And this, if you read the whole psalm, it talks about, about troubles and afflictions of life. But this verse 2 says that... that Uh, Or if you go back to verse 2 of of Psalm 90, it says that from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And if you put those two thoughts together, that, that this God has been there from everlasting to everlasting, and us as people, uh, Moses tells us to, to number our days. 
so that we may get a heart of wisdom. It's a, it's an interesting picture. God never changes. Our lives change all the time. And it's up to us to consider where we are in our lives and therefore make adjustments so that we may get that heart of wisdom. See, Moses understood this, this stages of life thing probably as well or better than anybody. He, his life was laid out very distinctly in three different parts. He lived 40 years in the Pharaoh's palace. Raised as the son of the Pharaoh. The best of life. Then he spent the next 40 years sitting with a bunch of smelly sheep on a rocky hillside in Midian. Tending sheep. From where God called him out of the wilderness and he took him to a different wilderness where he led over a million Israelites for the next 40 years. He knew about stages because every one of them was very, very different from the other. In the palace, he had the best education and the best of everything in the world. In Midian, he had nothing but a crowd of sheep to listen to all day. And then in the wilderness, he had God's people to lead. And I think in the palace, in getting the best education in the world, it prepared him for what he was going to do next. And in Midian, he understood and developed humility so that God could then use him for the next stage of his life. And in the next stage of his life, he came to understand the incredible power of God. So for for you graduates and, and for everybody else in the room here this morning too, consider where you are in the stages and the the seasons of life. What have you learned? What are you supposed to be taking and carrying forward from where you have been on into the next spot, into the next stage of life? From everlasting to everlasting, God is God. But our lives change. But the cool thing is that God doesn't. When we number our days, we learn to accept change graciously and with excitement. But what I want you to understand today is is this whole concept of, of when we speak about God being from everlasting to everlasting, that same God who spoke the universe into existence is going to go with you into the next stage of your life. The same God that protected baby Moses when he was floating in a little reed basket in the bulrushes is going to go with you into the next stage of your life. That same God who led the Israelites through the Red Sea and fed them with manna and did all the miracles for those folks as they wandered 40 years in the wilderness is going to go with you into college or whatever lies ahead of you. The same God that supplied a ram as a sacrifice for Abraham and for Isaac, uh, for Abraham and his son Isaac. The same God that protected, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they were in the fiery furnace. The same God that caused that stone to come out of David's little sling and fly and hit the giant in the forehead and take him down. The same God that closed the mouths of lions and made them like pets for Daniel. The same God who raised Enoch and Jesus from the dead. That same God that confronted Saul, the murderer on the Damascus Road, and turned him into the Apostle Paul. That same God that took a teenager named Timothy and gifted him to lead the church at Ephesus before he was 20 years of age is the God that's going to go with you. What does that mean? It means you have something reliable. 
It means you have someone to call on. It means you have someone that, that has already seen all the experiences that you're going to go through. No matter what season of life you're in. If you're not a graduate here this morning, maybe you're a parent. Maybe you're going to be a new parent. There's a lot of those floating around here, you may notice, in this church. Maybe you're a grandparent. Maybe there's a job change in front of you. Maybe there's some financial things that are going to change, either for the positive or the negative. Maybe there's health issues. All of us have seasons in our lives. And the same thing applies to these graduates today. We need to number our days and we need to know that from everlasting to everlasting, that same God is here and he is there here for us. And so that's the first thing I want you guys to remember this morning. Don't let days pass away. Each one has a number and each one's important. I want to tell you a story, and I've told this story in church before, about a guy I met. His name was Sam Mills. And when I met Sam, he was 102 years old. Shortly after that, Sam passed away, and I got to do his funeral. And when we got to do his funeral, I I found his Bible, and there was a note in his Bible that he had written to the person that led him to the Lord. He was 80 years old when he became a believer. That statistically doesn't happen. Most people become believers by the time they're teenagers, and very few by the time after the years of 80. But what that meant is, when Sam was 80 years old and became a believer, he really took to heart this whole thing about numbering his days, because he lived for another 22 years. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of thinking, I'm not sure I want to live to be 100. i got enough aches and pains already. But in that time... Sam accomplished much for the Lord. See, we don't know if our days are going to be 2 or 22 or 102 from here. So it's up to us to continue to trust in that God that is from everlasting to everlasting and to make every day count. And that is one thing that you guys can do, that all of us can do. Let's look at another scripture. This one is from uh, is, is written by... King Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. If you want to turn there, it's going to be up on the screen. And it says this, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that all these things God will bring into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Interesting little scripture. It's got a couple of vocabulary words in it. We'll cover in a minute because everybody's out of school now. But rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Yes, for you guys that are graduates, God wants you to be happy. He's happy that you have accomplished something. Your parents are happy you've accomplished something. Your parents, some of you, are really happy that you're going to be moving out of the house in some... And hopefully this is one of the best times of your life. As you feel that, that real feeling of accomplishment and, and as you're, you're moving on with, with dreams in front of you, and I think it's, it's neat that it says that, that we're to rejoice in the days of our youth and, and you're to have a heart that's full of cheer. That's what we want for you guys. That's what God wants for you. 
Dream big dreams. Pursue your goals and your desires. But listen to that next phrase. But know that all things God will bring into judgment. That's good things and bad things. Yeah, God's got an eye on you. You know, one of the things when we get to Christmas, we talk about, you know, that, that the, the angel comes and announces to the shepherds that, that Jesus is going to be born, and he announces to, to Mary and Joseph that they're going to have this child, and they say they're, they're to name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I've often said that that's one of the greatest and worst things that can ever happen to us. Because when we're doing the right thing, having God with us, and, and when we're in times of trial and, and trouble, and to know that God is with us is an incredible gift. But God's with us when we're not really doing what he wants us to do, too. And he knows what's going on in our lives. And that's, that's something that I think all of us need to, to truly understand. Is that you don't hide from God. There's nothing that you're going to do that's, that's separate from him. That same God that is with you from everlasting to everlasting, he does care about your conduct. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So uh, Solomon gives us a little advice in here. Knowing that God is with you all the time and that he is going to look at what you are doing and he is going to judge what you are doing, he says this, remove vexation. There's your first vocabulary word of the day. What's vexation means? Well, it means annoyance, frustration, and worry. So he says, you know, that life is going to throw stuff at you. Basically, hang in there, be cool. Don't be annoyed about the things that are there. Why? Because the same God that's there from everlasting to everlasting is with you all the time. It says, from your heart, uh, vexation from your heart, and put away pain. Now, it's interesting, this word that's used here for pain is actually a synonym for the word evil. There's a great pastor that's, that's uh, found at a church up in the Chicago area. His name's James McDonald. And one of his, his phrases that shows up every, almost any time you hear James preach is, if you choose to sin, you're going to choose to suffer. And, and that's, you know, something that, that many teenagers who have this great feeling of invincibility, you know, don't understand is that, that when we do choose to sin, we do choose to suffer. So that when we put away pain, it's not just saying avoid things that are, are hard or avoid things that are, are, are going to cause you pain, but it's also avoid evil because evil leads to pain. You put those away from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. What's vanity? Vanity is defined this way. It's overinflated admiration. You guys are great that have just graduated. You've accomplished something. You've gotten through high school. That's great. Don't make that the biggest thing that ever happens in your life. Please don't make that the biggest thing that you ever do. God and your parents and the people who have been praying for you and have been pouring into your life over the years have so much more hope for you, have so much more desire for you to achieve way beyond this. 
And it's so cool to, to know how many of you have, have gone on mission trips or are going this summer and have poured your life into people. You know, it's been great to be working with kids at this church for the last nine years and know how many of you guys have helped out in children's ministry and have tried to pass on what you know and what you have learned to the younger ones here. And, and to serve God and to serve this church, to serve your families, to serve the other people here. And that is fantastic. Don't let this be an end, but just the stepping off spot to the next and even bigger stuff. The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians kind of carries on this same thought. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. We shared this a few weeks ago, but I want to do it again because it's so applicable here. It says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. See, maturity is moving from simple recognition of what's wrong and what's right into what is wise and what is unwise. So Paul doesn't just say in writing to the Ephesian church, he doesn't just say, you know, don't do the wrong thing. He says, learn what wisdom is. And if you, if you feel you're lacking wisdom, and trust me, as teenagers, most of you are, just saying, The Bible also says that if we ask God for wisdom, he gives it and grants it graciously and without making judgments on what you've done in the past. He just wants you to be filled with wisdom. Verse 16 says, make the best use of your time because the days are evil. You get this kind of theme that's going through here, is that this time thing, right? We're to number our days, we're going to make them count. And, and Paul says, make the best use of your time, because the days are evil. And look at that, in 1,500 years, we've moved from number your days and make the be- to make the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Guess what, guys? Since that time, it's been another couple thousand years, and the days haven't gotten any better, they're just getting eviler. So the things that were said way back when Moses wrote Psalm 90 and when Paul wrote this in Ephesians chapter 5 pertain now and even more so. Because the days are evil, you guys are going to have to be even more wise. So he goes on, he says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. God's will and foolishness are opposites from each other. And you say, I'm not always sure if this is God's will. Well, one of the first and key tests is, is it foolish? Because if it is, guess what? It's not God's will. Okay? So start right there. So if you can put away foolishness, you're on the road to doing and knowing God's will. But how do you understand God's will? Well, start by watching what you put into your bodies and minds. Look at verse 18. It says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Debauchery is another one of those fun vocabulary words of the day. But debauchery means that you've literally had so much fun that it's coming out of your nose. Think about that later. If you need your parents to explain it to you later, they'll be happy to do that. Okay? So what do we do to get filled with the Spirit? Well, the first thing is put away foolishness. If it's foolish, don't do it, and you're on the road to wisdom. Second thing is don't be caught up in the stuff that the world says, you know, you should be doing at this point, which is debauchery. But then what do we do? Verse 19 says, Addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. See, it all starts in your heart, guys. 
And when, when you're talking in the context of God's word to the, to the, Jew, the Jewish people of this time and, and where they understood this stuff, the heart is where your character was. So when it says, address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making, merry, uh, making melody in your heart, that means your character should be something that is characterized by songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And it also says the way you do that is you do it, you give that to each other, kind of as a gift. Now, a lot of you guys have been to, you know, 100 graduation parties at this point in time, and people are exchanging gifts, and your, your aunt that you don't know has sent you a check in the mail and all that kind of stuff that happens at graduation time, right? But, but this is a gift you can give one another, and that is as you move on to the next phase of your life, and this is not just for the graduates, but for all of us that sit here today, it is our job to fill one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We are to be pouring into each other positive things from God's word that will help them. And, and I love going back all the way, you know, all the time to the Great Commission that we talked about earlier. And so as you are going, we're to teach others what we have learned. So when something great happens in our lives, share that with someone else. When you've learned something that is going to, that is profitable to you, don't keep that to yourself, but share it with someone else. Build each other up. And when we do that, things move from our heart to our head. Verse 20 says, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we understand what God has done in other people's lives, we can learn from that. And it's not just then an emotional heart thing, but it's a head thing where we know that God's active and doing things in people's lives. And then verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Not because people are out there and they're so much more valuable than you are that you need to submit to them. But the Bible says that each one of us is created in the, in the image of God. And as Christians, we are Christ carriers, and therefore we are supposed to submit to one another. Submission means this. It means yielding the right of way. A lot of you guys have been driving for a few years now that are uh, graduates today. A lot of us have been driving much longer than that. And where, where I grew up in the Chicago area, there were a lot of toll roads. There's a few around here. And there was no such thing as the easy pass back in that day. You had to have a fistful of change all the time to go down the toll road. And the amazing thing was that this three-lane road would, like, broaden out into, like, 15 lanes so you could get all the toll booths in there, right? And because everybody's want, running through and throwing a fistful of nickels into this little basket thing. And then within, like, eight feet, it goes back down to three lanes, right? That is the definition of submission right there. When you get through and you throw your nickels in the little basket, somebody's going to have to submit at that point. Otherwise, there's going to be this huge pileup of wrecked vehicles without their nickels. And, and that's a bad deal because it doesn't mean that someone's better than you are, but it means to get down the road safely and in the best way you can, you need to take a turn. You need to submit. When I was a kid, there was a lady who lived down the street from us. Her name was Mrs. Dietz. And Mrs. Dietz was a, 
I think the day I first met her, she was about 150 years old. And she was a single lady, and she lived in this little house that looked like a little gingerbread house, which sort of sat in amongst all these kind of colonial homes where I grew up on the street I grew up on. And Mrs. Dietz, in her backyard, had Martin houses. Anybody know what a Martin house is? Okay, Martin houses are houses designed to attract a specific bird. Martins, hence the name. And every year as the winter started to wind down and the weather started to warm up to like zero in Chicago, Mrs. Dietz would call a couple of the kids in the neighborhood and say, I need you to come over to my garage and help me with my Martin houses. Now, when the 150-year-old lady calls you and says, I need some help, you go and help because that's what you do. Submitting to the will of God there kind of thing. So we'd go, and I was the youngest kid in my neighborhood. So when we first started this, there was like 12 people doing this. And then as everybody else got out and graduated and moved on, like I had to do Mrs. Dietz's Martin houses all by myself in the end, which like was a half a month project thing. But anyway, this is what you had to do with the Martin houses. The Martin houses stayed on great big tall poles in the summertime. But in the wintertime, they came down and they went into her garage. And then there was this thing to get the Martin houses ready to go back up on the long big sticks in the backyard. And so you had to take them down. You had to kind of take them apart a little bit and clean out all the stuff that they're inside. Martins are not clean birds, just saying. You had to clean them out on the inside and get them really clean because if there was any remnant of the previous Martins, then the new ones wouldn't go in. So you took them apart, kind of took the roof off, and they were sort of built to do that. You clean them all out, and then you repaired them, and her little Martin houses kind of looked like her house, which was sort of like a gingerbread house, so it was a real pain in the neck because it was very intricate. They weren't just like a box with a hole in it, right? And then they always had to be painted because they had to look nice because the Martins wouldn't come into a shabby-looking Martin house. So they had to be painted, and they were, so you took them apart, you cleaned them, you put them back together, they were all painted, and then you had to position them properly in the yard. And as I did a little research, I found out that all of these things are actually true. I used to think it was just that this lady was out of her mind, that we had to do this. But it's really true, if there's like any remnants of the previous Martins, new ones won't go in. And if they look, you know, shabby, the Martins won't go in there. They're a snotty bird, apparently. (laughs) And if they're positioned wrong, like too close to water, too far from water, too near the tree, too far from the tree, you know, whatever, then the Martins won't go in. And you say, okay, great, this sounds like a real pain in the neck to attract birds to your house so that you've got to do the whole same thing next year, right? That's how my mind works. Just leave the Martin houses down or don't clean them up and you'll never have to do this again. But this lady had a plan, because the martins, these birds, as I did a little research, what I found are that martins are, and I've lost my spot in my notes here, but it was a a great definition. They're, (laughs) basically what it meant, I had the fancy verbiage for it, but they eat bugs. They eat flying bugs. They eat bugs that get on other stuff. Aerial insectivores. There you go. They're aerial insectivores, which means they fly and they find other things that fly that are bugs and they eat them. Why is that important? Because if you went to the back of this lady's yard, 
you would find that on the back of this lady's yard, she had the most beautiful grapevines you've ever seen. And she grew these Concord grapes that were like this big, and they were sweet, and they were delicious, and she used them to make all kinds of jellies and jams and wines and all kinds of other stuff. And she didn't want the bugs to get a single one of those grapes. So what did that mean? It meant that she had to get these kids over to her garage to take these Martin houses all apart, clean them out, put them back together, make them look nice and position them right so that her grapes would turn out good. Okay, what does that have to do with anything? Let me tell you. We're all moving through various stages of our lives. Some of us are graduates, new parents, old parents, newlyweds, kids leaving the house, jobs are changing, health is changing, finances are changing, all those things. We all have lives, and lives are like those grapes. And our lives need to be protected. And sometimes that means that we need to stop and check and number our days and realize where we are in these stages of life. And I would call on all of us right now to stop and say, today, is there something in your life that needs to be cleaned out? Maybe there's some habit that you have developed that needs to go away because it's not profitable, it's not helpful, It's making your life a little dirty inside, even if nobody else sees it. Are there things that need to be repaired? And usually the things in our lives that need to be repaired are relationships. We're walking through life with relationships that really need to be repaired. The Bible says, in so much as it is up to you, live at peace with all men. Are there things that need to be painted? Do you need to change what characterizes you? See, those Martin houses, you know, they looked really spiffy. Maybe people have an understanding of you that is correct and needs to be changed or isn't correct and you need to work on changing how people perceive you. And positioned. The Bible says we're to number our days. Number our days and make the best of our time. And part of that is, where are you positioning yourself? You know, a lot of you guys are real excited to go off to college because it's the beginning of the next phase of your life. There's some people that can be grandparents for the first or repeated times. And, you know, at those times you consider, do we live close enough to those kids? You know, maybe position is really important. Or we've gotten into a place that where we are, either through our job or through something else, that, you know, we know we're really not where we should be because it's not healthy for us. Maybe it's time to change position so that we can be most effective. For all of us, there are people that that have poured into our lives, and we need to be grateful for them. And we need to examine ourselves. I think that's one of the things we don't do well as 21st century Americans, is look at where we are, see where we've been, and see where God wants us to be. Got one more passage of scripture for you today. It's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. And it says this, starting in the middle of verse 12, says, For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 
by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. All of us sitting in this room have had people that have poured into us over the years. They have made a good investment into you. And the person that has made the most investment into you is Almighty God, who is the same from everlasting to everlasting. He gave you the greatest gift that he could give, and that was in his son, Jesus Christ. My prayer for you guys as graduates today and for everyone else that's, that's here is that we would use the deposits that are made in us. That we'd follow the pattern of God's word. And like that song that we sing a lot here says, till he returns or calls me home. See, that's numbering our days. That's a good way to look at it. Someday Jesus Christ is going to return, and we don't know when that is. Someday he's going to call us home, and we don't know when that is. So are you going to make the most of every opportunity? Because the days are evil. I want to leave you graduates in particular with a quote, but it's good for all of us probably from one of my favorite people. D.L. Moody was a shoe salesman from Boston. God got a hold of his life, and he committed himself to share the gospel every day. He quit his career, and he taught Jesus to as many people as would listen. In his day, he never achieved what was considered greatness. He was not the Billy Graham of his day. As a matter of fact, most people that had churches wouldn't let him come and preach in them. So he just went and found a bunch of kids. And he'd round them up, and he'd tell them about Jesus. And Moody's famous quote is this, The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to himself. By God's help, I'm going to be that man. The world has yet to see what God can do with people that are fully consecrated to him. And what I'm calling on each of us to do today is to do our best with God's help, that God that is the same from everlasting to everlasting, to be those men and women. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these families that are represented here by these graduates. I thank you, Lord, for this church family that's represented by them. I thank you, Father God, for each of them and the special gifts that you have given them today. And I pray, Father God, that as we go forth from this place today, that we would be numbering our days. That, Lord, we'd be looking at those things in our lives that we need to to clean out and to repaint and to restore. That maybe there are some things we need to reposition, Lord. That we need to be those men and women of God that are attractive to others and that are ready to give an account in season and out of season for the hope that lies within us, Lord. I thank you for the special young men and women that have graduated this last weekend or this last week, Lord, and I just pray that as we go forth from this place, as they go forth from this place, Lord, that they would represent you well, Lord, that they would make the most of their time and every opportunity, for the days are evil, but the God that lives within them is not And he has great plans for each of them. Help them to understand that, Lord, to depend on it. And to be the men and women of God that you would have them to be. To change the world. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.